Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, friends. Lou, how are you? Doing very good this morning. Happy to see you. Yeah, good. That sounds uh, vigorous on your part. <laughs> you had a good weekend, I hope. Yes, I had a very good weekend. So. That's good. Yep. So, friends, today we are doing episode 174, uh, chapter 16, verse 2. And as we discussed last time, chapter 16, then there's 17, 18, it's towards the end of the Gita. And we, this chapter talks about the divine qualities that we each have within us and the demon-like, demoniac qualities that we each have within us. Unfortunately, as time goes on in our lives, we tend to develop more and more, many of us tend to develop more and more demoniac qualities than the godlike qualities. So the Gita expressly, throughout the Gita, repeats again and again many positive qualities. If you remember, in chapter 2, it starts off with the sthita pragna, the qualities of a man of self-realization. Right. Then in chapter 3, talks about King Janaka. Chapter 4, from verse 19 to 24, it talks about nish karma, nish kama karma yoga, which means that without any desire, when you do karma yoga, those qualities. Chapter 6 talks about the qualities of a yogi. Chapter 10 in verse 4 and 5 talks about more positive qualities. Chapter 12, 13 to 18, verse 13 to 18 talks about the qualities of a devotee or a bhakta. Chapter 13, verse 8 to 12, 20 items of knowledge. Chapter 14, uh, verses 22 to 25, which we did recently. And now chapter 16, from verse two, 1 to 3, it's going to talk about uh, positive qualities. These are very important for us to learn. Why? Because it helps you to keep your mind calm <clears throat> and ultimately to get to self-realization, not in this lifetime perhaps, but in the next lifetime or the lifetime after, the calmer your mind is in this lifetime, the better it is going to be the next one. So you're born with certain qualities. You know this from babies, if you've handled them, that young babies at a very tender age, you can tell their qualities of calmness or peacefulness and others who are extremely agitated. So you're born with certain qualities. Then which culture you are brought up in? the culture of the world around you and your association with people, that inculcates within you certain qualities. You have to watch out for that. Hmm. The satsang, this, the quality of environment that you allow yourself to be in. And lastly, and this is more important, the qualities that you cultivate within yourself. Sometimes you do it without being aware. <clears throat> so. What the Gita tells you again and again and again is what qualities you need to develop within yourself for your own good. And that's what we're going to be doing today. So last time, and, and then in verse 4 to 9, um, the Gita talks about six demoniac qualities. So last time, verse 1, we did, uh, oops, nine uh, positive qualities. And today we're going to be doing 11 more qualities. So let's jump into that. We're going to be doing a full one hour today uh, instead of breaking it into smaller pieces so we can do everything in one uh, verse 
in one episode. Right, Lou? You yes, okay sir. with this? Absolutely. Okay. So number one quality is harmlessness or ahimsa. You remember we talked about this earlier too. So harmlessness means not just, you know, uh, killing an animal or killing a person uh, and doing harm that way. In thought, your thoughts should be without harm to any other being. Animal, human being, plant, insect, bird, anything with life. Your thoughts toward that being should be non-harmful. Your words that you use, what you verbalize, your deeds, your wishes, your intent. Each one of these we can spend time talking about, but you get the picture. Your thought, your word, your deed, your wish, your intent, all should be ahimsa or harmlessness. So that none of these from you causes any harm, offense. Even offense is considered harm. Um, harm, hurt, pain, suffering, all of these bounce back to you as karma if you do it. And internally, your conscience now starts to bother you because you cause somebody harm. So harm is of threefold, threefold harm. One is physical, which all of us think about right away. The second is oral or verbal. A harsh word, a harsh sentence, something hurtful causes harm. Mental, unkind thoughts, any kind of thoughts, these unkind thoughts, even if you have them within you, you say, well, how does it matter? When I first came here to this country, USA, I was taught in uh, my residency that a thought is not an action. So you can think anything you want. Not true. Because unkind thoughts and other kinds of thoughts become a mental karma. Just thinking it doesn't, but if you put it into being in your mind by developing it, your fantasy, you think about it, you know, these things definitely disturb you. So that's ahimsa. It becomes a mental karma. Um, your will, your intellect, you should follow your conscience and not give in to any of these uh, wishes on your part. Next one is satya or truth. Follow your own convictions and your conscience and your intellect. Thus, if you follow your conscience and your um, convictions in your intellect, you will be truthful to yourself and to others. So when your conscience says, this is bad, don't do it, follow it. If make it a habit that you know as your intellect says, should I do this, should I not? Follow what your intellect is telling you uh, to do and don't do what it tells you not to do. Thus, you will follow the path of satya or truth. Don't be hurtful in any of your actions, thoughts, or uh, words. Your, your speech should be pleasing and beneficial, yet truthful. So when you're saying something, you can be pleasing and beneficial without telling a lie. And if you have to tell, somebody says, tell me, have I gained weight? You know, just as an example, yeah. you don't necessarily have to say, oh, yeah, you're, you've gained a lot of weight. That's being truthful, but you've caused harm. So you can do it in a nicer way. And I can, you know, you, you don't need me to tell you how to say it nicely, but you can say it. And then don't use words without purpose. So limit your words. Limit the adjectives. 
things that you use to describe other things. Oh, that's fantastic, we tend to say. Oh, that's, that's horrible. That is, those are words that you should try and limit because sometimes you tend to exaggerate and that's not being truthful. And these all, believe it or not, have consequences. I'm going a little fast because we've got to do 11 qualities. My apologies. The next one is a crowd. Crowd means anger. A crowd means absence of anger. But Swami Shankaracharya says that is not an absence of anger. He says that's not really possible. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says it's a resolution of the anger within you. It's mm. not an absence of anger. Yeah. What is anger? Anger is an interruption of desire. You have a desire for something. Anger is either swallowed, kept inside, which has its own consequences, or it is expressed verbally or physically. And that has its own consequences. It is at times necessary to use anger to achieve something, right? You can get examples. Somebody is, somebody is uh, coming to attack a family member physically, mugging them. You know, you need to show you can't just stand there calmly and say, I'm not going to hurt you. You need to fight back. You can't plead with him. You can't reason with him. You've got to fight. And the Gita tells us clearly that at such times, you have to use whatever means. If you can talk him out of it, fine. But if not, you may have to show some anger. Use that anger at certain times, but the anger has to be completely under your control. You cannot lose that. Never, ever lose the control over your anger. Now, let's see what Shankaracharya says. Shankaracharya says it is a resolution, not an absence of anger. What does that mean? He says we have all of us have anger within ourselves from early childhood. Because when your desires are not met as a child, as an infant, as a young teenager, as a teenager, as a young man, each one of these situations are carved into your memory. And the situation, which is called a trigger, something happens, somebody treats you a certain way, produces anger within you. You remember the trigger, and then you remember the consequences and the anger that you feel. So there's a, con there's, there's a trigger, right? Some, somebody did something to you. Somebody didn't do something for you. That's the trigger. Then there's a consequence. Because of that person doing this, you suffered A, B, C. Right. There's a thought that there's a connection between him doing this and the consequence. So there's a thought. That's the third. Then fourth, there's anger. So what happens is, as you grow, you start to recognize that when somebody looks like he's going to do the same kind of trigger, you start to get angry. You jump already to D or the number four when you think that somebody's going to do what caused you the certain consequences in the past. Right. So you start to develop anger more and more easily just at the thought that there's going to be this trigger and therefore the consequences. And you start to get angry more easily. What Shankaracharya says is, every time you get angry, analyze it to say, what was making you angry? What were the consequences that led to the thought that led to the anger? And therefore, what was the trigger? And if you can identify all of these four, all of these three, if you don't count the anger, then if you can identify them, then in future, when there's going to be a trigger, 
you can think to yourself, ah, this is what normally would have made me get this consequence. I'm not going to be bothered by that. Therefore, I'm not going to get angry. For instance, um, you were used to your mother giving you anything you asked for immediately. Right. And you just got used to that. You know, you asked for something and two seconds later, your mother brought it to you. Say, here, honey, because you were her favorite or only child. As time went on, other people, you asked for something and they said, oh, yeah, I'll get it. But they didn't. Time went on and she didn't appear with a glass of whatever you asked for, milk, water, whatever. So you started to get consequences because you said, I'm thirsty. She's not bringing my water. I'm not going to get up and go because I'm not used to that. You get angry. So he's saying in future, when somebody does that, you start to get angry that she's not, he's not responding to you as quickly as your mother did. You start to get angry. He says, now you've recognized that this anger is going to develop in you. Don't actually just wait. Either speak up and say, honey, could you get me some water? Or excuse me, miss, could you get me water? Or sir, could you get me some water that I asked for? Or get up and do it yourself. So essentially, you've cut off the trigger and the consequences, and you've gone directly to it. And he's saying, in future, before you get to the point where it has consequences the, and the anger developing, you just do it yourself, so eliminate and short-circuit that whole thing. So that is number three. Number four, hold on one second, sorry, <laughs> is renunciation or tyaga. Tyaga means renunciation. Renunciation of what? That's often the question. People misunderstand and think that we're talking about renunciation of the world. So I don't. I want to go live in the Himalayas. I'm renouncing anything. No. Shankaracharya says, it is the spirit of the absence of ownership. Renunciation of the ownership of whatever it is that you're struggling with. The ownership and the absence of attachment. So you're not owner, owning your actions you're not owning the deed you're not owning the 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 action that you took and you're not owning the benefits that come as a result of what you did none of that all of that is renounced and you're not attached you're not attached to the action you're not attached to the result i built this temple that's not there I built this temple, therefore my name should be on the surface. My family name should be on the walls. That's not there. I built this temple. I should be given the row, seat in the front row of the temple. Not there. Mm -hmm. All of that you've renounced. And that is what he's considered calling renunciation. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a frog in my throat today. <laughs> I apologize. So our, again, continuing with renunciation. Our sense organs run after sense objects, right? It's normal. At early childhood, you taste something sweet. You say, I love sweets. You're going to run after sweets, sweet things. You can either give in and indulge in whatever your sense organs are asking for, or you can renounce them and say, I don't want to. Give them up completely. Both extremes. Anytime your sense organs ask for anything, you just give in. That's one. Let's see what happens with that. When you do that, first of all, every time you indulge, you're increasing your desires. Mm -hmm. Your desires are there for this sense or, or object to be obtained more and more and more. 
So your vasanas are increasing, your desires are increasing. Your next life, when you come back, those vasanas are coming there fully with the same desires and increased level of desires that you fostered throughout your life of giving in to your desires. At the same time, in this lifetime, what has happened is, if I like strawberry ice cream, the more I indulge in strawberry ice cream, I become neutralized to strawberry ice cream. So that by the time I eat the thousandth cup of strawberry ice cream, or probably way sooner than that, I say, I don't like strawberry ice cream. So you've actually destroyed your pleasure from that. So either way, indulgence doesn't seem to serve a purpose. Now, the other extreme is complete um, abstaining from any of these desires. That also doesn't do good. <clears throat> because we've talked about before how certain individuals say, you know what, I have a physical desire for physical uh, connections with another person of the opposite sex. I'm going to completely abstain from that. What happens is the desires haven't gone away. The need of the body, which is a physiological need for sexual intercourse, has not gone away. Mm -hmm. So those desires keep building, 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 and they come out in a different fashion. And that's even worse. So what the Gita says is neither extreme unless you're a sannyasi, unless you're a swami that's you know, gone beyond the stage where we are, the Gita says don't either indiscriminately indulge nor uh, completely restrain yourself. The Gita says don't do something given to your sense organs because, you, because they want to, but when you need to, just like you need to breathe oxygen, you can't prevent that, that's a physiological need. You need to urinate. You can't hold it forever. You need to defecate, can't hold it forever. You need to indulge your body, your ears, your mouth, your tongue. All of this needs some indulgence. You can't completely deny it. What the Gita says is, not when you want, but when you need to give in. Then you give in. At the time of giving in, the Gita says, do it physically and try not to do it mentally. So mentally, you're not indulging in the pleasure, nor are you, after the pleasure, continuing to linger on that pleasure. If you keep lingering on the pleasure to say how wonderful that was, you're actually only increasing your desires for this. Lou, anything that you want to? You've been very quiet today. No, I'm just, I'm just listening. We're going through a lot of information. Okay. So by doing this, the mind does not sensually indulge, nor does it linger. So renunciation itself is of two types, according to Shankaracharya. One is a sannyasi who leaves everything and goes up to the Himalayas. And we said that that's not possible for you and me, for most of us. Or give up the results of your action, except mental purity. You can indulge, but give up the results of your action, except mentally being pure. Once you have that renunciation, all the results that come as a result of your desire, you're giving up all of that. Instead, you do just do deeds because they ought to be done. Okay, next quality, this is the sixth one. Shanti, sorry, fifth one. Shanti or peace. Your desires are completely under your control. Therefore, your mind is in peace. When your mind completely, your intellect completely controls your desires, your mind is at peace. There's no agitation. 
Your desires themselves, we've talked about this a thousand times, causes stress, causes anxiety, causes right. mental agitation, greed and agitation. You keep your mind away from the source of the sense objects and the desires for the world. Keep it calm and peaceful by focusing only on your inner self, not on the sense objects. Gossiping, speaking negatively of others also causes deviation from mental peace. Think positively about others, your own failings. Think about your own failings. Think about your faults. Look instead at your own failings and faults. Increase your own positive qualities and decrease your faults. You know, there was a... <clears throat> My apologies. Think there was a time that I was reading something by a Swami who said, try to keep your, make a mental note and keep yourself away from gossiping about other people, talking negatively about other people, or thinking ne negatively about people the whole day for one day, 24 hours. You may think that that's easy to do. If you're in the world and you're going to pick up something from a store or a gas station or you're going about, it is so hard because the world is full of people that rub you the wrong way. And you, it's, it's very, very difficult, very difficult. Try it. But those who have achieved self-realization get to the point where they can actually stop thinking negatively about somebody else or gossiping or talking. All of that adds to the mental peace. So as we go through these qualities, my friends, something or the other will strike you to say, yeah, I can do that, or I'm already almost there. Gita says, take those qualities where you feel you're almost there and increase those. Once you have one quality out of these many, many, many qualities that you say, I'm good at it, you can then work on a second and third. The rest then sort of follow. But don't focus and try to do all of them, especially the ones that you know you're going to fail at. Mm -hmm. Next quality, absence of calumny. Now, I didn't know what calumny mean, meant, so I looked it up in the dictionary you know, when I first heard it. And calumny is making false and defamatory uh, statements to slander someone's reputation. That's the official definition. So you say something wrong, something false, and you defame somebody else to hurt their reputation. Gita says, don't do that. The self-realized person or one somebody who's on his way to becoming self-realized does not indulge in any of this. He does not think negatively of someone else, and he does not speak about negatively about someone else, doesn't make false comments. Instead, he focuses on his own growth, his own evolution his own enlightenment. And every time he thinks negatively about somebody else, instead of speaking it, he starts to say, do I have that quality? What are my good qualities? What are my bad qualities? If you speak ill of others, <clears throat> this hurts your own spiritual and material, and material life. Many yeah. people say, ah, spiritual life, it's okay. But people in the, worry more about their material life. And this will affect your material life. How you deal with others in business and employment and how you deal with others in many things is affected by the calumny that you indulge in mentally or verbally. And that affects, believe it or not, your wealth and, and your business 
uh, acumen and people relating to you. So maintain a healthy relationship with one and all. Don't uh, speak ill of anybody. Don't speak ill behind their backs. Calumny satisfies only your inner envy or jealousy of the person or inner desire for something. And so don't satisfy those desires. That's what we're focusing on again and again, because it only agitates your mind and you stray from your path of going towards self-realization. Uh, that was verse quality number six. Quality number seven, <clears throat> daya. Daya is, actually it is called daya bhuteshu. This means, we think it means compassion, but it's more than compassion, as you will see. Daya is a feeling towards another living being, any living being, who is suffering from pain or discomfort of any kind. You see somebody on the street, he's gotten hurt, or he's begging, he's hungry, he says, I'm hungry. You may call it sympathy or empathy. Sanskrit calls it daya. The capacity to feel daya, the capacity to feel sympathy, empathy, is in all of us. And it is very necessary not to suppress it and get rid of it. Very necessary. I'll tell you why. When you feel the daya, allow it to come out. Allow it to result in some kind of action for you to help that person to reduce his pain or suffering. That sympathy that you feel towards another, these consequences, if you don't indulge in some action to help him or her, then you suffer an internal guilt because you just said, he's suffering, but yeah, you know what? Not my problem. I'm walking away. That causes you hurt to your conscience. Your conscience will keep bothering you and that causes that inner guilt that never leaves. It makes a mark and many of these marks produce scars within you. You should act on your sympathy and empathy, your daya, with an action that is helping that person to not feel. Daya is spontaneous and very natural. It is an expression of your love for the other loving, living being whether it be an animal or a human being or anything. You feel love for that because you feel oneness towards it. Just imagine when you are hurt, you know, don't you want sympathy from somebody else? Right. You want a tender, loving word, somebody to say something nice to you, you know, help you. You feel the same way towards other people. You want others to show daya to you. Everybody knows this expression. So when you feel daya, encourage it foster it and turn it into an action instead of suppressing it. Many of us say, well, not my problem. I don't have time right now. Uh, and that is hurting your conscience. But you must express it in the right way. Even if you're helpless to actively do something, you can do something by saying, I'll pray. And that's active daya. Let everyone be happy because I don't want to be unhappy. I don't want anybody else to be unhappy. I want to be happy, so I want everybody else to be happy too. The next one is uncovetousness or the absence of coveting somebody else's something. An absence for longing in the presence of desirable sense objects. Now, if I'm next to somebody who's smoking an expensive cigar, I'm not going to covet that because I've never smoked a cigar. I don't know the pleasure of it, so I don't feel any craving for it. 
So there's a misrepresentation here that in the presence of a desirous sense objects, because what's desirous to one person may not be desirous to another person. Why? Because I never experienced it. A drug addict says, oh my goodness, look at that amount of drug that's sitting there. He covets it, cocaine, heroin, whatever. He said, goes crazy as he sees it sitting there on the table. Person who's never indulged in it says, it just looks like white powder to me, doesn't right. do anything. So there's no coveting. Here he's talking about when you have experienced something and you have a desire for that sense object to then not have longing for it. That's what really he's talking about in coveting. So don't crave somebody else's possessions or their enjoyment of a sense object because their wealth, their loved ones, their, the beauty that they have surrounding them. This only results in your own mind being agitated and sad because you can't have it. And then it puts you into action to say, maybe I can steal that person away from you, even for just a short period of time. I can indulge in my own desires. Creates a whole web. The desires originating in the mind are limitless. You mm. should underline this again and again. Keep thinking about it. The desires originating in your mind are endless, limitless. Be happy and satisfied with what you have. Don't covet what other people have. You can remain unaffected if the sense object is not present, right? right. If, if I have had cigars before and somebody else is uh, not smoking, I will covet it because I like cigars, suppose. I've never smoked, so I, I'm not talking about myself. <clears throat> But somebody who has a craving for cigars, he sits next to a guy who's smoking an expensive cigar, he's going to covet it. But if there's no cigars anywhere near him, he's not going to be reminded of that. Um, or it's something that you've never experienced before, then you don't cover it. You actually say, get away from me. I don't like that smoke that you're blowing. So you must practice this quality of non-uncovetousness. Control your desires. In a store, control your impulses and don't buy what you don't did not intend to buy. Go with a list, stick to that list, don't buy impulsively. And that is also covetousness because it's lying there, you say it's a sense object, I want to buy it. You can first practicing practice this by eliminating the presence of the sense objects. Get them out of your life as much as you can. Don't have them in your presence. After this, you can practice appreciating their presence without developing a longing for it. Even if a longing crops up, you do not give in. That's the next. So I don't know if we have time to talk about an example of Ram, which I think we spoke about. I'll say it quickly. Um, in the Ramayana, there was a monkey king named Vali, and he was an evil monkey king. He was the It was the height of sin and uh, lust and all the bad things that you can imagine. And he had a boon that you could not kill him unless you shot him from the back. So Ram hid behind a, a tree and then took his bow and arrow and shot Vali from the back and killed him. Many people have misunderstood this. Vali represents our own desires our own uh, addictions. 
And what the Ramayana is saying here is that when you have an addiction, a strong attachment to a desire, you cannot control it if you attack it head on. You only have to go as Ram did from the back Correct. and do it surreptitiously the way I just talked about eliminating the presence of that object, you know, staying away from it, using it gradually. If you go and you say, I want to give up drinking, I'm an alcoholic, and you go and sit in a bar, you, it's very, very difficult. You're confronting it head on, and right. that's impossible. So he says, you've got to do it uh, uh, in a different way. Next one is gentleness. As long as you're satisfied and happy, you can be gentle. Mardavam is the absence of cruelty. It means gentleness, but it actually means soft. Soft like a petal of a flower. Very, very soft. That's gentleness. Your attitude, if it is soft and kind, is Mardavam. Nobody should be afraid of how you're going to react, either physically or verbally, to them. Your words should not be unkind or harsh. No harsh words should ever come out of your mouth. Softness and gentleness is important because to the other person who you're with, it suggests, number one, accommodation on your part, that you're accommodating them. You accommodate that they may not be as bright as you or as beautiful as you, as, as powerful as you. You're accommodating them. You're not being harsh and you're understanding. You're accepting other people's limitations. And third, you're understanding their position and their background, and therefore you're not being harsh or putting them down in any way. Nobody likes, I mean, we've all experienced somebody or the other during your lifetime being harsh with you, and you don't like it. Right. So as long as you're satisfied and happy, you can be gentle. What needs to be practiced is when you're tired, when you're hungry, not to be harsh. When your desires are unmet, not to be harsh. And you feel frustrated or suppressed, not to be harsh. You have to drop your desires. <clears throat> you have to focus at that time when you're vulnerable to say, I'm hungry right now. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. Kids are coming near me. Don't be harsh. You can't avoid it. Get up and leave. Go away from what is uh, irritating you. As you gain in this knowledge, you drop your desires. And at that time, you'll be able to not desire whatever it is that's causing you to feel frustrated. Um, from your body, your mind, your intellect, craving physical sense objects, emotions, intellectual flattery. Somebody doesn't do it. You get irritated. You want somebody to say good things about you. Nobody's saying anything good. Drop those desires. Thus, you can be calm, peaceful, and gentle. Next one. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Was it? Thank you. You should Modesty, which is in Sanskrit, hri. H-R-I. You should be humble. You should live within your means. Don't pretend to be what you're not. That's modesty. Don't make yourself higher than you really are in position, status, wealth, beauty. Other people's opinions should of yourself should not matter to you. Excuse me. Um, and in Sanskrit, Hri also means a sort of shyness, more than modesty. Shyness not in the way that we understand shyness around people, you know, so I'm shy, come on out, honey, you don't be shy, not that. Shying away, not as you know it, but shying away from praise 
and shying away from flattery and praise of your achievements and power and wealth, that kind of shyness. You say, I don't like it. Be humble, be naturally modest, but accepting of your own strength. You, you don't have to minimize. Somebody says, what are your good qualities? You can actually say what your good qualities are, but without asking for praise or being boastful. Be modest about it. Says, yes, I can do it. But the last quality, 11th quality of verse 2, then we'll go on to verse 3 next time, is absence of fickleness. Absence of fickleness. Absence of fickleness refers to the absence of the activity of your organs of action. What are the organs of actions? Your hands, your arms, your legs, um, your um, organs of excretion, your voice box. Mm. You remember all those five organs of action. The activities of your hands and legs and your speech, when there is no purpose, when there's a purpose, it's a different story. By acting with your hands, legs, and your voice box, when there's no purpose, is fickle. So your life should be deliberate. Your actions should be measured and purposeful. Chapalam means agitation. A chapalam means no agitation. Movements suggest agitation. When you are a chapalam, not only your organs of action, but also your mind becomes steady, purposeful, calm, measured, and powerful. Do this practice every day. Try not to use your voice box unless it's really necessary. Same thing with your arms or legs. Be purposeful and don't let your speech or your words or your actions be wasted. Do it without tension. Make sure you're relaxed and your mind is relaxed. If your mind is fickle, you behave impulsively. Your mind should be under the strict control of your intellect. Allow your mind to be under control, and your mind then allows your voice box and your arms and legs to be under its control. You must concentrate on getting to the goal of your self-realization. Be consistent in your daily efforts and have conviction that you will get there. So some of these qualities, these 11 qualities that we spoke about today, the nine qualities that we spoke about last time in episode 173, and the next qualities we're going to talk in the next verse, are things among those qualities, things that will strike you as something that is possible. So I wish you luck. I it hope that like you this whole lesson today sounded like a more detailed lesson in detachment. In other words, all of this is about avoiding chasing the things that supply your ego or supply your desires, or supply your vasanas, right? Just finding a way to deal with those in, in many different ways. Yeah. So each one of them comes from a desire for something. And ultimately, the Gita is basically telling you to get away from your desires for something. And each one of these has some something in it uh, that you can control, which helps you then control your desires, which helps you lessen your vasanas. Yes. Right. Oh, and by the way, very good work just battling everything you battled for this whole episode <laughs> with your voice. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my voice, my sneezing, my apologies, yeah. friends. Uh, trying to get all of this crammed into one episode and not make it too long. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.